So all through the summer, we've been residing in the book of the Proverbs, which is found right in the middle of your Bible or somewhere on the dial in your device. And so if you have your Bible, your device, turn with me to Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. And we've been using this foundational text each week because it sets up the entire 31 chapters of Proverbs. And, And I've read it to you each week because I want it to seek sink deep into you. And I invite you to listen to these words and say, wow, God's got some incredible stuff that he wants to do in and through me. Proverbs chapter one, verses one to seven, and it's from Solomon. And it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Sounds like a good way to do life, doesn't it? For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their understanding and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That verse seven says, the fear of the Lord, having a deep reverence for him, a sense of awe, a sense of respect for who he is and what he says is the beginning of wisdom. And as I said, we've been walking through Proverbs together and today we're gonna talk about friendship. It actually says in 3 John, verse 14, and John was the best friend of Jesus. John says this, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. As you look at church history, we know as the church in the first century was beginning to unfold, not only were people beginning to call these people Christians, but they noticed some things that were quite different about them. Not only were they were Christians, but they were friends. They were there for one another in ways that were uncommon in that day. Friends with God and friends with each other. And they, they demonstrated, as was in keeping with what it talks about in 2 Corinthians, a noticeable love for one another. And so we want to talk about friendship this morning from the book of Proverbs. And this is something I hear from lots of people. Oh, one of my fondest wishes is that my teenager would have a healthy friend or friends. I'm praying for that all the time. But I can see it often in those parents' eyes that that they would like that for themselves as well. And I hear this desire for a life-giving type of friendship or friendships in many lives. Proverbs, as we've said all the way through, and as it's promised in those opening verses, is chock full of wisdom from God. And it's really a whole series, as you study it, of short, punchy statements that can be grouped together on a variety of topics about the way things generally are in people's lives. And God is saying in this, listen, let me speak into your life in very uh, thoroughly practical manners about the real issues of life. 
And so the main text I want to use today is in 18 verse 24. And it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Solomon seems to be suggesting that the nature of the relationship is theoretically closer than you have with your own flesh and blood family. I find, though, that often this is not particularly our goal when we come to church, even though many people are lonely. In fact, Debbie and I had breakfast with a couple yesterday, never had met them before, didn't know much of anything about them. And as we began to talk, we were at one of those whoop-up barbecue breakfasts or whatever, this woman just opens right up and talked about how desperately lonely she was and how downcast and depressed she's been in the last two years. Are you lonely? So many people longing for community. I think sometimes we come to church almost with a view like we're going to Tim Hortons or something like that, a place like that. You might only know a couple of people in there, but you're there to get your food hot and fast and then go quickly out the door and be back on the run. That can easily happen in a church, even if it's the size of 60 or 70 people, which most people would suggest is the maximum number of people you can really know in a church in which you become familiar strangers to them, let alone a church like ours that has several hundred people that come regularly. And this is really not how biblically a church is meant to operate, not how God intended it. And as you've often heard me say, even though many people on social media are are commenting to the contrary, if you look in the book, in the economy of God, even with all our warts in the church, there is no plan B. You read about it all through the Old and all in particularly all through the New Testament. And despite our warts, this is God's plan for people that are followers of Jesus. And the churches that are the healthiest have a number of things going for them, and one of them, one of which absolutely is a high view of Scripture. All the literature shows this as well. But it also has a high view of community and the building of deepening relationships. And a church that has and cultivates and encourages those kinds of deep friendships, um, it's different than just being a place that's friendly. A friendly church makes you feel welcomed when you come in the door. And I think our host team does a really good job of that. But that's, if that's all it is, that's like going for coffee at Tim Hortons or one of those kind of places where they're taught to smile and take your order and be respectful. And if you want more napkins, it's no problem at all. But after you pay and you eat, leave quickly so the next person can take your place. This is why they make, in my opinion anyways, the seats marginally comfortable for about 12 to 15 minutes, and then you're very uncomfortable and you want to leave because they want the next person to come in the door. And the church as God intended it, he intended it to be different. He intended it to be a community knit together in loyalty and known as a place of love. 
This is why the early church, they started calling them not just Christians, but friends. And they began to see these people are in it for the long haul, in the, in the healthy and good times in life, and in the difficult times of life as well. And so it says in Proverbs 17, 17, as we begin to look at some of these snippets through the book, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And so I want to talk to you about four very simple things, four H's of being a friend. And you're going to say, that's such simple stuff, Scott. And it absolutely is. But my experience is, is a lot of us don't do it. If I went around the room, there'd be a boatload of people that would say, I don't really have a close friend or friends. What does it take to develop and cultivate a close friendship? And I think most of us are deeply longing. Very clearly, the first thing is humility. It says in Proverbs 8.13 that God hates pride and arrogance. And I think this is one of the things that holds us back from having close friends. If you want to be a friend and value the gift of being a friend, we have to come to term with the facts that we're weak in that sense, and we need one another. We really need one another. Back in the dark ages, when I was in school, getting ready to become a pastor, they don't teach this anymore in the ministry preparation schools, but they would teach it to us sometimes directly and indirectly, and they would say things like this, be very careful as a pastor not to develop too many friendships and especially deep friendships with the people in your church, because it will be seen as showing favoritism, and sometimes those friends that you thought you could trust will use it against you. Kind of a negative thing to say, right? But they would teach this. We were told that you are about to enter a very lonely life, and are you up for that? And in the first church, uh, I tended to really keep my distance. Even though it's interesting, we did develop some friendships there because I was beginning to learn very quickly how empty that teaching had been. And we still have people that we connect with from more than 30 years ago, and they'll come and see us. And there's some wisdom when you're developing friendships. You have to be careful who you share with and what you share and many people can't handle it when a pastor starts being a real person. And some people are just not that interested to be with me because I'm kind of boring. Um, but in my second church, I learned a couple of things. And one of them was how empty that approach to life was of having no close friends. And how, for me especially, how pride-filled that was. I can make it on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need prayer. I don't need to laugh hilariously with people. I don't need to be admonished by someone that actually knows me. And so as I began to learn about this, and maybe this is where you're at, I understood I need to humble myself and say the walk with Jesus is not meant to be lived alone. And I would teach this stuff, but I didn't model it myself. And I guess for some warped reason, I thought I was a special case. And eventually I admitted, yeah, it's okay. 
as a pastor to have friends, to trust people and be vulnerable with them. And that's developed over the years into having some real friendships uh, outside the church and inside the church. In fact, last night, Debbie and I were out for supper with friends from the church here. And it was so refreshing to be able to just have fun and laugh at ourselves and share some of the heartaches of life, some of the wonderful things in life, and have people that care and are supportive and pray. Because we were created to do the journey with Jesus together, to pray for one another, to grow in Christ together, to support one another. And I've asked you this before, but it's so important. Do you have someone or a series of someones like that in your life? And so often when I ask people this question, which I do from time to time, often the answer, most often the answer is, no, I have no one. I have no one. Right from the start in Genesis 2, when God's looking at Adam, he says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And he created Eve. And I recognize that's talking about the marriage relationship. But I think a case biblically can be made that is just generally being spoken about in terms of relationship across the board, whether a person is married or single. We function better when we have someone we can be real with. And I understand it's scary to do that. And for some of us, it's more of an issue than others. And that's why the Proverbs are things that are generally true, and they're sometimes more applicable for one person than another, simply based on God how God created us. And so if we're more introverted rather than extroverted, that might be the case. Some of us have been betrayed. I've been betrayed once or two times by some friends. So it's hard to trust at first. But to invest in a friendship inside or outside the church is important, but it's scary. And you'll probably get hurt at some time, at some point. But it's worth it. And the temptation to survive alone is not the best option. And so we just offer a number of venues. And they're not perfect, but there's numbers of venues. There's numbers of traditional kind of small groups in our church. People that are wanting to join those. And so we're looking for more leaders. There's if groups for ladies. My wife is going to an if group meeting tomorrow night with several ladies and they meet once a month and they do life together. There's triad groups of people. There's Zoom prayer groups. There's a crafting group that gets together to do crafting and invest in each other's life Wednesday mornings. There's numbers of opportunities at different times of the day, different days of the week. Can I live a healthy Christian life in isolation? from my brothers and sisters in Christ. It might be possible, but it's certainly not preferable. I'm gonna see a couple pictures on the screen. The first one is an illustration of what I'm talking about. This is in Israel. This is about an hour and a half walk from the ancient biblical city of Jericho. It's the uh, Greek Orthodox 
monastery for, and it's called St. George's. And it's built literally, I don't know how they built it, right, right into the sheer cliff. It's one of the places where Elijah the prophet hung out. And there's a whole bunch of Greek Orthodox men running around in that place there. And as you walk down to it, um, up above it, you'll see in the second picture, you can't see it in the first, but above the monastery, there's a hermit shack. And there's a guy that lives in that shack up there. He lets a rope down and uh, the monks put food and water in there and he pulls it up in a basket and he lives by himself um, six days, six times 24. And then on the seventh day on Sabbath, he comes down to church because he's got that part right from scripture. He understands the necessity of gathering with biblical believers that way. And so down he comes for like three hours once a week. Is it possible to live like that? It's possible, but I'm going to suggest it's not preferable. And I, I'm looking at this thing thinking, I don't think I'd want to do the walk with Jesus living in that place for very long. Possible, but not preferable. But some of us have that hermit type of mentality, protecting ourselves from relationship, which we might be hurt. And I gently say that might be living more in fear than in faith. So it takes humility to admit our need. The second H in Proverbs is, is honesty. Um, so important for a healthy relationship. And one of the things we do not do well in the church, we're afraid to tell someone the sometimes difficult truth and do it in a loving way. It says in 1219, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And then one that we said several weeks ago, 27 verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. I've talked to you about my pastor friends uh, from here in Alberta that I chat with once in a while, quite frequently. Probably about three weeks ago, I was walking with one of them and this individual is facing a huge life decision. And he asked for my input. You have to understand this is 20 plus years of investing in that relationship. And he knows me and I know him. And it hasn't always been convenient to spend time with him. Uh, it's cost time and resources. But as we're walking along, he said, I have this big decision to make. And he asked for my input on this decision. And then he said this to me, he goes, there's going to be a boatload of people that weigh in or try to weigh in on this. But Scott, you're one of two or three people in the world that I know I'll get the straight goods from. Because we've been in relationship for all this time and invested in that relationship. And he knows I won't just say what he wants to hear, even if it's tough. You can think of maybe 18 months ago, sitting across a board table in Calgary with him. And he and I had this huge argument in front of these people on an issue. 
And it didn't get personal at all, but it got very heated on this particular issue. And we never did agree, and we still don't agree to this day. But because we know each other, we could speak the truth to one another and disagree strongly without it getting personally. We're close friends. We can have fun together. This is what Proverbs is talking about when it talks about iron sharpening iron. Honesty among friends is not always pleasant. It can even hurt. Like it says in 27.6, if you're hanging with someone and all they ever do is flatter you and blow kisses at you, they're not your friend. They're actually your enemy. This is part of what real friendship is. Having the ability and the courage to actually speak the truth in a loving way to your friend. And I've said this before, I say it again. Do you have somebody in your life that cares about you enough to speak the truth into your life? That when you start to deviate off the trail, they're going to they're gonna step in and they're going to have the hard conversation. It takes time and effort to cultivate this, and it's absolutely worth it. The third one that Proverbs talks about is humor, and humor is so important. And I thought to myself, the really sad thing at this point in this little talk is I don't have a single joke to tell you right now. But one of my fondest wishes, if any people that know me well, they know there's there's one or two ways that I'd love to die one day. I'm not going to be morbid here, but I'm going to let you guess about the second one. But the number one way I'd love to go out in life is I would love to go out laughing at the top of my lungs, laughing uproariously, and then just go, Ooh, and fall over and die. I think it'd be a great way to go. You can't read the Bible and not know that God has a great sense of humor. He has a great sense of humor. And not only that, he put within us the ability to have a great sense of humor. And Proverbs loves humor in friendship. 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Sometimes one of the best things you can do is just have a good laugh. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 12.25, an anxious heart weighs a man down but a kind word cheers them up. We all enjoy being with people that are fun. People with whom you can laugh so hard something might let go. God, um, God, we take very seriously. But like I said, if you read the book, you see he has a sense of humor. And I think as Christians, we take ourselves way too seriously. Sometimes we just need to lighten up and have some fun. Not sinful fun, just have lots of healthy fun. And there's a lot of opportunity for that in life. That's the kind of friends to have. And then lastly, it's just hang on. Just hang on. 1824 again. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a brother who sticks close, a friend rather, who sticks closer than a brother. You know, there's nothing wrong with having 871 friends on Instagram and Facebook that you diligently share with them when you buy a new red shirt. But we all know there's more to it than that, right? 
You're wondering what it should look like. A great story to read in the Bible is the story of David and Jonathan. We won't read it now, but go into that story and read about their relationship and, what, and read it from the perspective of a friendship. Two guys who were loyal and faithful to each other, didn't give up on each other despite the pressure, the conflict of interest they felt, and the circumstances they were in. And I would argue that one of the reasons David turned out to be the person he was and survived and was a healthy follower of God in so many ways because of his relationship with Jonathan. Often all we need is that one other person will hang with us through thick and thin. What seems impossible in life becomes manageable. And of course, above all of this is a relationship with God. Never gives up on us. He's never too busy. He never goes to sleep on the job, Psalm 121. He's never preoccupied with something else. He never cares for this person more than he cares for me. He is, he is the epitome of hanging in. You know, after the resurrection, there's an interesting couple of verses. It's post-resurrection, and Jesus appears to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them from the shore, and you know, when you're at the Sea of Galilee, and just like any body of water, and you speak, your voice just travels. And it says in John 21, verses 4 and 5, early in the morning, when their boys are out fishing, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you got any fish? And there's something significant about the timing of this. He says, friends, have you got any fish? After, in his hour of greatest need, they fell asleep on him. I'm going through all this difficult circumstances in the Garden of Gethsemane. Would you pray for me? And they go, absolutely, Jesus, and they promptly fall asleep. And then when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, the disciples have been saying to him, Oh, we'll stand with you, we'll go to jail with you, we'll die with you if necessary. When the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, they all bolt and leave him to face them alone. And then later, the chief spokesman for the disciples denies him three times. And yet still Jesus says to them, after what they did, friends are the fish biting. Human friends are great. I enjoy the ones I have. Sometimes I wish I had even more. I think everybody likes having a great friend, right? But the reality is, is that people move or people die or people just get tired of hanging around me or whatever. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother or a sister. Friendship is legitimate never fades into the background. It's warm, it's real, it's eternal. If you're lonely, this is the place to start. Say, Jesus, would you help me? Jesus, I would love to have a relationship with you. I would live to give my life to you and let you take me on a different path. 
Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord, that reverence, that awe, that respect for who God is and what he has, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, fools despise wisdom 